Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. The Christian life begins with right attitudes of the heart, and as it is lived out, it boils down to the attitudes of the heart still. The Sermon on the Mount traces the attitudes of the Christian life from start to finish. Our message was delivered many years ago in an old cathedral, and so the echo is quite pronounced. May the message today echo as well in your hearts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For God to begin the blessing that he wants to begin in our lives, for God to send revival upon the church, for God to renew your life, it must begin always at this place. It must begin at the place where you become poor, impoverished in your spirit. Really what this means is that you come into God's presence and you do an account of what you really have. And you find when the account is done that you have nothing. It's what happened to Isaiah when he had a vision of God and he said, Woe is me. I am undone. I have nothing. I am a person of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. It's what happened when Job said, I heard of you, God, but now I see you and I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You see, for God to pour out his blessing upon us, the first thing that we need to do is we need to have a vision of ourselves, a vision of God and accounting of ourselves. And we need to be impoverished in our spirits. We need to become poor in spirit. When we become poor in spirit, what happens is all the facades drop, all the props that we've put up in our lives to console ourselves or make us think better of ourselves fall aside. And when that happens, something else takes place. Once the facade drops, we're able to see even more penetrating into our lives and see not only do we have nothing, but that we are full of sin, that we're sinful. Apart from God, we have a depraved and sinful nature. When that facade drops and we're able to see our sin truly as God sees our sin and we see our sin in light of who we are and who God is, do you know what we do? We mourn. We mourn. We mourn our own impoverishment. We recognize that our sins are what put Christ on the cross. You don't hear that said very often nowadays. We don't want to make people feel too badly. But our sins, it was our sin that drove him to the cross to die for us. And our sin is what refuses his gestures of love and mercy to us. And when we recognize who we are and the facade drops, and then we see really what we are, we see the sin in our life and we mourn. The next thing that happens is this. The individual who has been impoverished of his own sense of well-being, of who he is, and the individual who sees the depth of all that the sin that he has in his life has a transformation in his life where he becomes meek. He becomes meek. A person who's meek does two things. He ceases to assert himself. The second thing he does is he stops defending himself, protecting his reputation. The reason he does that is because he already recognizes something that no one else knows. He knows it better than anybody else. He knows that in the presence of God, he's nothing. And he knows without Jesus Christ, he is full of sin.
And there is nothing worth in himself asserting. And there is nothing in himself worth defending. And frankly, when the accusations come against him, even if they are false, the reason he doesn't spend too much time or doesn't get caught up defending himself is because he knows that if they only really knew, really knew what he was apart from Jesus Christ, if they only knew, they could say so much more. There could be so many more attacks that could be laid against him. When we recognize the impoverishment of who we are apart from Christ, and when we recognize the sin that we have in our lives, we have nothing to assert of self, and we have nothing to defend. This is really an emptying of ourselves. An interesting thing, as I've been reading about revivals over the last few weeks, as I've recognized that in every revival there is a divine work of God whereby the church is emptied of its sense of self. And through that emptying, God provides a vessel that he can pour himself into. One of the great revivalists that took place during the Welsh revival had a prayer that became the prayer that was prayed throughout all the churches. It was very simple. It was, God, empty me. God, fill me. God, use me. You're going to notice that those three things are mirrored in these Beatitudes. But these first three that we've seen here is the process of God and the demonstration that God is emptying us by his Holy Spirit. You know, the last word of Jesus to the church was not, Lo, I am with you always. The last word of Jesus to the church was coming and saying that I have something against you because you believe that you're rich and increased in wealth and you believe that you have need of nothing but you are wretched and you are miserable and you are poor and you are blind and you are naked. You have one assessment of yourself and I have a completely different assessment of you and you need to become poor in spirit and you need to mourn and you need to be weak. You need to empty yourself so that I can fill you with gold, precious gold or fine fire. So I can fill you with the balm of my own healing and life. So I can clothe you with my own righteousness. Because I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. You thought I was there. You thought I was among you, but I'm outside. And he's speaking to the church. And I want you to recognize I'm not here. And I want you to open the door and ask me to come in. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. But this is what happens. When I have this process of emptying take place, I begin to desire something else than what I've been feeding myself on. I begin to desire something more than just practical insights for every day. I desire for something more than somebody simply affirming me in my personality and my nature and my character. I desire something more than the propping up of my own nature. It's all been emptied, and I want something else. And what I want is I want the righteousness that God would give me. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. Three kinds of ways we thirst for righteousness. Ultimately, first, primarily, we want to be made righteous. This is what happens when a person comes to Jesus Christ and receives Him as their Savior. They recognize their sin. They recognize their impoverishment without God, and they cry out, Oh God, save me. Come in my life. Bring me the righteousness, the goodness of your Son, Jesus Christ, and cleanse me of my sins. And so we want to be made righteous. But not only that, having been made righteous, we want to know the righteous one. We want to know him. We want to trace his footsteps. We want to experience him. We want to encounter in a deepening way 
a walk in a relationship with the righteous Lord of heaven and earth. We hunger and thirst for his righteousness. Beyond that, we want to give expression to that righteousness. We want him to make us holy. We want him to live out his righteous life through us, you see, expressing his life through us. The person who is by the Holy Spirit has been emptied, that person wants to be filled, and he wants to be filled with all of the righteousness and all of the life of Jesus Christ. Philip Monington prayed, Oh, that a man would arise in me, that the man I am would cease to be. That is the longing of a person who's longing for righteousness. Jesus, come well up in my life like a great fountain and live in me your righteous life. Who can accurately and intensely pray that prayer? Only the person who has been emptied by God's Spirit. This is the progression. Then we come to this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. You know what I think the merciful person is? You know our problem in our lives, the things that keep us really from doing business with God is that we're too fixated on ourselves or we're fixated on others. We're too concerned or worried or caught up in our own life or we're concerned or worried or caught up in the lives of others and our lives revolve around those two primary points, me or others. And here's what God does, you see. First God comes and he empties us of us so he can fill us with a righteousness. But once we recognize who we are, we begin to recognize who others are as well. We don't become angry. We don't become bitter. We're not full of resentment. We recognize that we are the recipients of God's grace as he fills us with his own righteousness. And instead of putting our hopes and our aspirations and our dreams in others, instead of being disappointed when they let us down, instead of being angry when they don't fulfill what we believe they ought to fulfill to us, and casting judgments upon them, we become merciful. That is, we desire that they may go through the same progression that we have just gone through. We recognize more than anything else what they need to do is have the facade fall down. We recognize that what they really need to do is see the sinfulness in their life, not because we're casting stones at them. We recognize their need to cease asserting themselves and defending themselves before us and before God. And we desire above everything else, just like God has done for us, we desire that they would be filled with the righteousness of God. You know what that is? That's mercy. And you know what that is? That's the spirit of mission. It's the spirit that carries us to the lost around us. You see? We have mercy on others. The next statement says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity means a singleness. It means a focus. It also means a cleansing. When I stop putting all of my focus on self, and when I stop putting my focus on others, I have a purity of heart because my heart becomes focused on God. And when my heart becomes focused upon God, God does a wonderful work in my life where he begins to demonstrate the increasing needs in my life wherever they are, and I experience his filling and his infilling and his working and his cleansing and his purity. I experience his cleansing. What does John say? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The next beatitude says, blessed are the peacemakers. They're the ones who are making impact in the world because they are bringing the wonderful gospel of peace. Not only that, because they have no pretensions about themselves and they have no pretensions about other men, they're able to come into any situation and speak the word of peace between two conflicting social elements. 
You know, everybody has different jobs that they do. I know a person whose last name is Carpenter is probably named Carpenter because his relatives were carpenters. And if you're named Miller, your name is Miller because your relatives were people who ran granaries and produced flour and, and milled things. And what would be the name that we would have as the children of God? According to this beatitude, it's this. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. Because, you see, that's God's mission. That's God's work in this world today is to make peace. It's to make peace. He longs, above everything else, to reconcile people to himself. That's why Paul says that we cry out to you as though God were crying through us. Be reconciled to God. God wants to make peace. Finally, it says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You know, we think that if we'll do all these other things, then the blessing will be that we will be able to make tremendous impact in our community. Well, in some generations of the church, the church has had tremendous impact because God's revived them. Other times, God has sent revival and God has simply preserved them from attack. But in every generation, they've experienced persecution. God says when all that happens, you've been blessed. Well, when I listen to the broadcast, I think that young man had a good idea. Let me recommend that you begin by praying, God, show me yourself, and then show me me so that I can find you. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a broadcast of this message, you can call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next broadcast, may the Lord bless you.